It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. In late July, we had a very special gathering of Ellerslie alumni here in Windsor, Colorado. The week that they were here was filled with pithy and poignant reminders about the Christian life. You know, that version that is all in, fully given and abandoned to God. Hey, this is Eric. I have to admit, it was really, really special seeing friendly, familiar faces on our campus again. Boy, did I miss it. This week spent with the students was truly magnificent and precious. And since I'm traveling with the family over these next two weeks and won't be able to be present and live in the chapel for our Daily Thunder broadcast during that time, I'm going to take a short hiatus for my World War II series, which I will pick up upon my return. And I'd like to share recordings of five of the messages that I delivered during this powerful week with the alumni. I hope that you'll be encouraged by these living truths just like I was. If you have a desire to be discipled this year, please go to ellersley.com forward slash daily and look at the training options that are still available in 2020. And please don't let the finances stand in the way of you applying. We have scholarships. So follow what the Holy Spirit may be nudging you to do and trust that he will make a way. And now, without further ado, a bit of thunder. So Shepherding 101, the strength to lead sheep isn't found in your pockets. So what you're being called to do is not something that you innately are built for. You're built just like a glove in need of a hand. And so in and of the glove, your gloveness, you do not have what you need to function as only the hand can with the glove. And so you need that grace to be imbued to be able to function as you ought to function. So introducing the shepherd, the guy in charge of the sheep pen. It's a trust, and it's funny because in the church, we use the term pastor. That means shepherd. And we use it very easily. We, we speak it without pause. We don't hesitate to call someone a pastor. And yet in most cultures previous to ours, in our time period, to call someone a shepherd would be somewhat of a put-down, okay? It would be a very low-level position on, uh, you know, if you were to look at any society and you were to pick the most base, most low-level occupations, shepherd has always been at the bottom. And so if you're going to call someone a shepherd, you know, it's like, hey, Pastor Eric, it's like, excuse me, uh, what are you saying about me? <laughs> now, to us, it's a statement of honor. That's what's funny. But that, so is the cross. The cross is something we celebrate, but that's an execution device. Isn't it funny how Truth will convert these things that are actually lowly and demeaning into pictures of triumph. And that's just something to notate as we go through this. Shepherding is low, and yet it's high in the kingdom of heaven. Introducing the shepherd's assignment to keep out the wolves to comfort the sheep. Now, that's a very simplified understanding of it, but there is a threat to these sheep. If the sheep were able to take care of themselves, there's no need of a shepherd. However, because the sheep are vulnerable and they're weak, a shepherd is needed. And so the shepherd is given an assignment, and that is to keep the wolves out of this sheep pen. And so that shepherd has a rod, and the shepherd is going to use different tactics to do this, which is not what I'm going to focus on right now, but in a general sense, in a very simplified sense, to keep out the wolves, but also to comfort the sheep. There's two roles. A lot of shepherds are going to be good at one of the two. 
And it's the dexterity of using both hands, both strengths, that oftentimes is what we need encouragement in. You'll notice that some men, as an example, are very good protectors, but very poor nurturers. Then you have the real softies, you know, the, the, the fathers that are really soft and, or, or the husbands that always are, you know, doing uh, roses and, and poems, but they're terrible protectors. <laughs> it's like, well, hey, can we bake the two together? We have a tendency to go in one direction or the other. And Jesus is this incredible blend of both sides, both strengths. And this is what a shepherd must do. He must be excellent at both. The little known fact about shepherds, their job is really quite difficult. When you are first emerging in Christian strength, you begin to think about ministry. You begin to think, you know, I'd I'd really like to be used by God. And so you look out there at different things that people are doing. You're like, I would love to do that someday. And I think those are wonderful things. It's a wonderful process. However, it's also good to recognize that these are very challenging positions. When you take leadership, when you take responsibility, it's actually extremely challenging. A shepherd's job, if we were to break it down, is not fun. No one wants it, actually. It's usually the youngest son that gets the task. And I'm not saying that women didn't get it. They are shepherdesses. shepherdesses. That sounded funny. Shepherdesses? That that sounded funny. It's like a funny-sounding word coming off my tongue. But there are female shepherds, if you could say it that way, right? And uh, so listen to this out of Smith's Bible Dictionary. In Israel, the shepherd held a subordinate position. The office of the eastern shepherd was attended with much hardship and even danger. He was exposed to the extremes of heat and cold. His food frequently consisted of the precarious supplies afforded by nature, such as locust and wild honey. He had to encounter the attacks of wild beasts, occasionally of the larger species, such as lions, panthers, and bears. Nor was he free from the risk of robbers or predators' hordes. Welcome to the job of a shepherd. Who wants that? Oftentimes, the shepherd would be away from his family, living in caves. And so, I mean, and the reason they would oftentimes be near cave systems would be because storms come and you want to have protection for your, your sheep. And so... I mean, there's different strategies. If you ever heard me teach on David, you know, why he would have gone to the Valley of Elah. Well, there's a huge tree. And so he would have had shade from the tree. He would have been able to go up into the tree and have a view to be able to see if anything's coming. And he had a cave system. That's where the cave of Adullam is. I mean, all those cave systems are right in the Valley of Elah. Well, that makes sense. He would have been familiar, likely, with the very place that Goliath came into because he was a shepherd. So there are dud shepherds and there are good shepherds. Okay, that's uh, a little German for you. I don't think that that's actually a German word, but I'm using that umlaut to make it feel sort of German. So there are dud shepherds and there are good shepherds, or good, good, good shepherds. The dud shepherd shows passivity towards the wolves and in so doing betrays his precious sheep. So when wolves come, a shepherd is responsible to show resistance, to not be passive, And what we see happening in the church today is we see a passivity towards the encroachment of wolves, which is, I mean, for some of us, we're we're trying to figure out what to do. What is my response? And I deal with the same thing. I mean, you, you might deal with the same. It might be your own church 
where you see wolves coming in and the shepherds sort of going, no, you know, we want to be sensitive and we don't want to say anything that would offend them. And it's just like, we got wolves coming in to the church of Jesus Christ. Well, I deal with the same thing where I, yeah, I have a, a shepherd position here, but I don't have a shepherd position there. And I can't be a shepherd for every flock. And so it's hard. What we're dealing with is a very unique tension because we're seeing a breakdown of shepherding right before our eyes. The famous quote of the dud shepherd. Woman, I'm the head of this household, so I'll do what I want. Okay, classic shepherd failure right there. This is a a common breakdown in marriages is a man who recognizes that he has a role and he has a position, but he misuses that. And he even justifies his burping and scratching under the uh, pretext of scriptural mandate, too. He'll do it. All the, I mean, men do this all the time. It's like, hey, I'm the head, woman. It says that you're supposed to submit to me, burp, scratch. And I tell you what, it's not a good model. So we're going to call that the dud shepherd, okay? So they can try and use scripture to validate their dudness, but it still is dudness, no matter how you cut it. It's not the way Jesus is. The good shepherd. He stands up against the wolves and in so doing, preserves the life of his sheep. So this is the good shepherd. The good shepherd is going to be willing to lay down his life for his sheep. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So there's a pattern that is given to us by Christ himself. So he's actually setting a mold, if you will, for leadership right here. Now, for some of you, as you hear this, you can say, well, I'm not in a leadership position. I'm not over a sheep pen. You are. First and foremost, you're over your own thought life. You're over your own body. This is a pen, if you want to say it that way. And it's full of preciousness. God gave up his life for that which you have been set over. And he says, take care of it. You're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. That means all that you are, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your resources are all his. And you've been put in a shepherd position to care for that. So that's just where it starts. And how you prove faithful in the small things is going to establish your ability to be entrusted with more. The famous quote of the good shepherd. So here's, here's we're good, uh, the opposite of the dud. Honey, as the head of this household, I take the blame for the weaknesses of this family. The impediments in our communications as a couple. And the fact that our kids are not heavenly minded throughout the day. It's very easy as a man to come home from work and to see breakdowns in your home and to subtly criticize your wife for those breakdowns. And so you can make statements like, why is our family always dealing with this? Okay, classic statement. And then, uh, you know, well, the reason we have problems with communication is, you know, and then you infer that it has something to do with her. You just keep saying what's wrong with me. Okay. What I'm doing is I'm bringing you into marriage, you know, before you get married, right? This, these are very easy patterns to get into. And of course the last one, you, you see the problems with the kids and you then infer that the wife is fully responsible for that. I mean, if I was here during the day, here's what I would have done in that situation. And of course the wife is thinking, Oh really? Uh, you're more than welcome to be home during the day, honey, because uh, these kids are difficult. And so what you get is a, uh, a famous quote of the good shepherd is going to actually take it upon himself. 
Now remember Jesus, he is going to take it upon himself. You catch that concept? And so a good shepherd actually is willing to take the heat, to take the blame himself. That's a pattern that I want you to remember as you begin to grow in leadership, okay? Don't look for places to stick blame. Remember Adam? It, it, it was the woman. That, that is actually the dud right from the beginning. Adam in every regard is going to be a dud shepherd. He is not going to protect the Garden of Eden. He is going to fail. Jesus is the last Adam and he is going to demonstrate a different pattern. As the head, the good shepherd will. So listen to this list. He will take the blame even though he is not the offending party. Think of Jesus as I go through this. But think of your life too as a leader. When you're put in any leadership position, you take the blame for what happens in your organization, in your family. It doesn't matter. So if there is something that Ellerslie does as a whole, like say someone in my organization uh, does something to hurt someone or offend someone, I still have to take responsibility for that. I can't just say, yeah, you know, I have people on my staff that have issues, right? And it's like, yeah, I, I wish I didn't, but they're there. I'm responsible and it stops with me, right? And so I have to own that instead of shift the blame around. Good shepherd will take the loss even though he's not the one who made the mistake. He will take the hit even though the bullet was aimed at someone else. He will take the pain even though he was wholly guiltless in the situation. Of course, that's the Christ model right there. This is actually how the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep is going to function in his position. So as the head the good shepherd will. You see, when we talk about headship, it makes some of us sort of wriggle inside because of the abuse of the idea. So even the, the word headship, I, I don't know how you respond to it, but it's sort of like Holy Spirit to some people. Like, uh, it, because when something is abused, it, you have a tendency to retract and pull back lest it hurts you again. Headship has been abused in many situations in the body of Christ. And as a result, there's a sensitivity, but we need to restore our understanding of headship because it's still God's pattern. God, just because people abuse it doesn't mean we throw it out. You don't throw out the church because the church has gone bad in certain situations. You don't throw out manhood because manhood has been twisted any more than you throw out femininity because it's gone weird too. These are God's institutions. He's the one that set them up. We need to recover them and restore them and remove the barnacles from them. So as the head, the good shepherd will go without food that his sheep may have their bellies full. So this is a whole different model for headship, right? If you're really, that's why I've oftentimes said to guys, it's like, whoa, be watchful, buddy. If you're going to use the word head, that you're the head, you need to know what the head is then. The head is the one that's willing to suffer first. The head, is the, willing, is willing, the head is the one willing to go without food if, they're, if you're short. The head is the one, I mean, because most men are going to be like, well, I have the biggest stomach. I need the most food. But if you're short on food, the head is the one that's going to say, I'll go without. If you go without the blanket that his sheep may be kept warm, if there's only enough blankets for, uh, for the group minus one, well, who's going to be the one that goes cold? It's the head. So are you sure that you're the head? Or what you were talking about being the head, are you sure you want to be the head? You go without breath that a sheep may live to breathe another day. If someone has to die, take me. I mean, that's how the good shepherd works. Distinguishing between the two shepherd models. 
So uh, John 10, 11 through 13, Jesus is going to break down the distinction of the leaders. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And he's going to notate a different sort of caretaker, a different sort of leader. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. What sort of shepherds are we? Likely, and this is just a guess, okay? I don't know that any of you are waking up this morning going, I would like to be a dud. My guess is that every single one of you esteems the good. Like as I'm going through it, you're like, yeah, that's what I want. However, very likely we're in some kind of hybrid state right now where if, if I were to ask you, are you the good shepherd? When people see your leadership, are they seeing the sparkle of Jesus Christ in everything you do? It'd be really awkward to say yes. At the same time, you want to say yes to that. So likely we are the good sort in the making, but ones that are still prone to dud behavior. So how do we eliminate that dud behavior? Isn't that a wonderful thought? I would like to get rid of all dud behavior. And guess what? I have dud behavior in my leadership. I know all of this. I teach all of this and I can still see dud come out of me. Really frustrating at times. I don't like seeing dud come out, but that there is a selfish propensity that we all have that we need to recognize and note, and we need the gospel. We need the power of God to actually overcome that. So the illustration is learning to ride a bike. When you're learning to ride a bike, uh, which I've gone through with uh, six kids now, it's, it's funny, when they first get on that bike, balance is, of course, the key. You know, you take those training wheels off, and I tell you what, they'll just, they'll have a propensity one, into one ditch or the other. And it, it's weird. It's just like, no, you need to lean the other way uh, because you just keep going to the right. And, I mean, there's, in, in our road, we do have a little ditch off to the side. And, boy, that's very attractive to a new bike rider. It's like, oh, right to that ditch. <laughs> and so the same is true in our leadership is that there's propensities of a direction that we will go. And if we know that, what we're learning is balance. And it's okay, just like you're not going to be mad at a little child when they're learning to ride a bike, or they're toddling and learning to walk. The same is true with leadership. God has a tremendous grace for knowing where we're at and the fact that we have propensities. However, are we going to be corrected and correctable to be able to gain that balance so that we are using the strength on both sides of the ledger of what makes a leader a good leader. So finding that strange and inexplicable balance in between falling into the ditch on the right and falling into traffic on the left. We have, we have, it's so easy to go either way in your leadership. And I'll, I'll go into that and break that down. The art of parenting. Practicing good shepherding by listening to the tap of the heavenly shepherd's rod upon our fluffy backside. You want to know how to succeed in parenting. You need to have a rod of correction. You need to allow the shepherd to shepherd you. And when you become a parent, you oftentimes think, okay, now I'm the big cheese. Okay. Now I'm the one. It all falls on me. Technically it falls on God. And if you will be still a sheep in your shepherding, that's the secret is recognizing that he, we still have the tendency to go into a ditch in our parenting, to be either too soft or too strong. And it's hard to find that 
strength balance of love, where you are firm when you need to be firm and you're soft right when you need to be soft. Usually we are firm when we need to be soft and soft when we need to be firm. And that's a propensity that we have. So one of the terms that I've used for it throughout our ministry, and this term is going to arrive in January of 2009 or 10, maybe it's 2010. It's right when we were starting Ellerslie and we had a conflict and it was a threat to, to Ellerslie. This is before our first students even arrived. And I had to deal with a matter that was extremely difficult. And up to that point, I would say I could esteem the truth in a matter. And then I would try and with my diplomacy appeal and very softly speak and encourage and hope that the person catches the drift in this situation. I had to be very strong and say, you need to leave. Yeah, I don't like that. And yet it was essential for the protection of this ministry. So, Oh wow. This was a moment for me. And I still remember where I was. And I remember I was sitting on a couch. I had just prayed with Leslie. And I remember I needed to rise up and be a man. That was, it was very clear. I, if I'm going to lead this thing, I have to start right now with a whole new level of readiness. So am I going to allow the Holy Spirit to do it? Or am I going to dig in my own pockets? Holy Spirit, you do this. I remember standing up and grabbing the phone. And it was my first step in, in addressing the issue. <sighs> And it was very, very significant. It's like if I were to mark, you know, those different points in my leadership where there has been a definition and a shift of direction, this is one. And I've always called it being presidential. And I tell you what, throughout Ellerslie, that's the definition of it. There are moments when I just have to stand. I can't say, could someone else deal with this? It's like, I know who needs to deal with it. It's me. Somehow I got into this position. How did I get this position? I don't want this position. Eric, if you're in that position, walk in that position. You will have grace for it. So the beginnings of good shepherding, for all of us, it's being presidential. In your own soul, that thought comes into your thought life. And it's a lot easier just to, you know, give way instead of be presidential. Rise up off the Orlando couch and give a call to the Holy Spirit and say, I need emergency reinforcements. This needs to go down. You need to stand up against it. You need to be resolved in your soul. You need to be presidential. You need to take the assignment that you have and you need to rise up and be protective. You need to be a good shepherd. Uh, so this is, this is like Eric Ludy's journey through this. Oops, I think I just beat up one of my sheep. Remember the job of the shepherd is to, pro- to keep out the wolves and to comfort the sheep. What we have a tendency to do in the modern church, just follow me on this, is comfort the wolves and beat up the sheep. (laughs) And it's a weird thing, okay? More harm and hurt has come from mishandling leadership in the church. I mean, there's a lot of pain that probably just in this room, if we were to collect it, it wouldn't just fit into a jar. It's like, okay, we need quite a few jars. Can we get another jar in here? We've got more pain here. We've got a lot of pain just in a, a room this size in the church. And a lot of that comes from allowing in the world under the banner of love. That's what's so weird. Because we love and because we want to be kind, we're going to allow in this disintegration uh, to the truth and to the true faith of Jesus Christ. And so 
the awkward first steps of wielding the rod as a weapon. When I first begin to rise up with strength, and if you follow the history of my life, I still remember when I first preached. I was always a teacher, and I had never grown up where I had ever heard preaching. Okay, so it wasn't even normal to me, and I had like lava inside of me all of a sudden. There was something the Spirit of God was doing, and I remember agreeing with it, getting up on the stage, still remember the situation very clearly, and I let it fly. And I spoke in a manner that I had never spoken before, and it sort of just shocked everyone that was present that was used to hearing me speak. I spoke with a conviction. I spoke with an authority. And I was just like, okay, I'm agreeing with this. However, when you get that fire or that lava, as I'm describing it, which is really good, it's a gift of grace where God is moving in you, you have a tendency to not know how to wield it. It's sort of like getting entrusted with a sword and not necessarily knowing exactly where you're supposed to swing it and when. And so I clonked uh, a few people over the head with my newfound passion. And it wasn't until as I was going in, you know, my, my classic victim in this was Leslie, where we would be like praying and she would say something like, yeah, I'm struggling with fear in this area. And I'd be like, fear, fear will not be in this house. And I was rising up. I was being presidential and Leslie was just like, ah, <laughs> and I, I remember having to learn, it's like, whoa, 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 I'm supposed to comfort my sheep, not clobber them, and I need to live in an understanding way with my wife. I mean, there's a lot of things that Scripture speaks to this on, but I was being presidential. So I'm like learning one side and now beginning to drift into the ditch on the other. In other words, it was like I, I had to find that balance. Being presidential, but being a gentle president. The rod that drives away the wolves is the rod that also comforts the sheep. Isn't that an interesting thought? So I'm given a rod. I'm given this authority. And, you know, it's, I'm ready to, you know, wield this thing and clonk. And so like, bring it on, oh wolves. I know the authority I now have in Christ. And then my, you know, sheep come around my legs. And I'm like, <laughs> you have to know this same, this same rod is actually what comforts. You know how a rod comforts? You're walking down a narrow way and you use that rod to gently tap and that's actually what steers the sheep so the sheep feel secure because you are wielding as a, as a shepherd your rod. You know where you're going. You know where you're supposed to be. And so as a result, you are helping your sheep and comforting them with the same rod that you clonk the wolves. And so knowing how to wield this authority or this strength that we have is of the utmost importance. The weaker vessel phenomenon. I, I don't like to say that this has been hard for me to comprehend, but it's strange the different layers. Like I've known this from before I was married, right? I, I know that Leslie's the weaker vessel and I know, I, I know a lot, okay, in my head. But sometimes working it out, I've had some some funny mishaps along the way where, you know, in hindsight, I'm thinking, now that was, that was dumb. I, I know that, but it's, it's just a very easy thing to miss as you're growing strong in leadership. Most people never grow strong in leadership. And as a result, they don't know how much they can misuse the weaker vessel. First Peter three, seven husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. You want to be effective in leadership. 
you have to recognize that your sheep need to be cared for, not clobbered. And as a result, the disposition shift is very interesting. When you deal with a wolf, you deal a very specific way. That shifts then when you deal with your sheep. You cannot deal with your sheep in the same manner. So as a result, that's why I'm saying right hand, left hand. You have to know how to, as, as I'll oftentimes say, draw the steel and fight an enemy and draw the cup of cool water and give reprieve to your friend. They're, you're drawing in both situations, but you're drawing something different. You're drawing kindness and mercy. Whereas when you're dealing with the devil, you're not kind to the devil. You are very exacting, very direct, and you're clobbering them, knocking them right in the teeth. How do we balance these things? The good shepherd does not seek fairness as an end. Oh, huge point, guys. If I could, if I could just take all the men in here and just talk about one of the secrets of marriage is to not look for equity in how things work. In other words, it's like, how come my wife can say that to me? But if I said the same thing to her, it would not go over well. And we as men oftentimes look at that as like, that's unfair. Get used to it. You're the stronger vessel. Did you expect it to be fair? In other words, you're the one that takes the hit. You want to talk about fair. Jesus is going to take all of your sin upon him at the cross. There's the bridegroom. Okay, so what you're seeing is something that you could call it unfair, but it's also a picture of incredible love and leadership. So what we are called to as leaders is to model Christ. So speaking of the leader, he must be willing to take every hit, bear burdens by all by his lonesome, endure unjust measures and suffer indignities that are undeserved. Jesus Christ. The principle of quarterbacking, a secret gem of wisdom for husbands. Football, I've used a lot of illustrations from football over the years. And uh, one of the things that's always impressed me about the way that football is structured is the ownership of wrong. And so, for instance, if the team loses, the coach has to own it. Guys, it was my playbook. It was my fault. However, on the field, the captain of the team is going to own it. So you'll see the quarterback will be like, hey, guys, that's on me. You see, if you're the leader, it's on you. Even though it was the defense, they're the ones that dropped that interception that would have been returned for a touchdown. We would have won the game. Defense, if you'd just done your job. No, no, a good quarterback takes the onus. So the football application, if the team loses, start with the premise that it is due to your failure as a leader. If your team fails, take the onus for the failure upon yourself. Lift your hand up high and say to all the fellow players in the locker room and to all the onlooking media and fans, y'all, it was my fault. I take the blame for it. That's a good quarterback right there. That's a good leader. The marriage application. Start with the premise that every disagreement is your fault and that restoration of a healthy relationship lies solely upon your shoulders. You see, when you start with the opposite premise, which is it's their fault. If they want to, you know, figure that out and come to me and apologize, well, then maybe we can restore this thing. What's going to happen? It's not going to go in the right direction. However, when you say, God, start with me, and your issue may be this big compared to their mountain, you know, you have this little molehill, you be responsible for your molehill. In Christianity, this is just how it works. This is how you bring about re restoration and reconciliation. 
is you have to be humble and you have to be responsible. As a leader, you need to be willing to be responsible for the whole kit and caboodle. I remember one time I was speaking at a international conference. We were, oh, I don't know, maybe one or two years into our marriage. And this ministry that we were being asked to speak at had violated a trust. It was a pretty serious violation. And Leslie and I had worked through it. We'd forgiven them. And, uh, but it was hard. Okay. This was like a, a difficult thing. And then they asked us to speak at this, at this event. And I was speaking on, of all things, uh, forgiveness. And so before I felt in clear conscience, I could speak, I, I felt like I needed to talk with their staff because there was something that I had done. I had had one comment over the phone when I was talking to the secretary once, it was like a jab. Right. And it was, you know, in my mind, it was very deserving. Right. But it was not Christ. And I felt I needed to make that right. So I got together with all of their team and I made it right. Sort of thinking in the back of my mind that maybe they would awaken to the fact that what they have done to Leslie and I is so bad, so rotten. And guess what? They were like, yeah, we forgive you. Okay, then. <laughs> I have to walk out forgiveness, which is not conditioned upon their humility or their recognition of doing any wrong. You see, as a leader, you have to own things. And sometimes it can be very, very difficult. Bear the burden for initiating reconciliation. Don't shy away from being the responsible party. Raise your hand up high into the air and say to your wife, honey, this is a result, this is a result of a failure in my leadership. I take the blame for it. The higher degree of responsibility. With every rung of increased authority comes another rung of character responsibility. This is hard to understand until you actually start gaining responsibilities. And it seems unfair. I mean, my whole life is unfair if you want to break it down. The amount of heat that I take upon myself and the requirement of perfection in my life as a leader, it's ridiculous. Whereas other people, the people even accusing me can live however they want and burp and scratch their way through life. And yet I am held to this level of perfection. It's like, that's, that's not right. But that's how leadership works. And that's what we need to understand. You see, with every degree of responsibility that you begin to absorb, you have a higher degree of responsibility in the character attributes of your life. The difficult double standard that destroys most shepherds. This actually is what causes many shepherds to fail right here is they get the sense of justice in them is just off and they, they cannot handle it. It's like, why is there such a double standard here? The shepherd must be, listen to this statement. This is quite the statement. The shepherd must be without flaw while the sheep under his care are given a generous allowance of grace space. And that's just the way it works. You see, I have to live a life of integrity. Do you understand why? I am highly responsible. When I speak a message, I need to back up that message with my life. So the way that I live my life, I am held to a very high level of accountability to it. Whereas those that are hearing my message are not held to the same level of accountability, even though they should rise up to heed the challenge and allow the Holy Spirit to raise them up. But as a leader... We need to understand that and we can offer the grace. And even though someone may be very hard on us and desire, you know, a level of excellence, which is Christ alone, they're onto something there. 
and that is that someone who speaks it ought to live it. We are held to a higher level of accountability as leaders. The picture of good shepherding. So David and his sheep, a great picture. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When a lion and a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. So there's a good shepherd. A good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. He goes after the lion and the bear. What shepherd is dumb enough to do that? Wouldn't it be better just to lose a sheep? I mean, who cares? It's just one, one sheep. But the shepherd loves his sheep. He cares about his sheep. So David is a good shepherd. He is proving that he's not a hireling. He's actually one who cares about his sheep and loves his sheep and as a result is willing to lay down his life to go after his sheep. So a shepherd must become an expert in two sorts of wrestlings. Remember how I talked about drawing the steel and drawing the cup of cool water. You have this balance that is taking place. We need to wrestle with our kids or the shepherd needs to wrestle with his kids and needs to be gentle. When you're wrestling with your kids, it's a very interesting uh, art form. And any of you that are fathers understand that uh, because it's very different than like Coach Dave is a wrestling coach. It's very different than normal wrestling because you are, what, 10 times the weight of your kids? What, 100 times their physical strength? And that's probably not even an exaggeration. A father is a very strong unit, whereas a little child is very vulnerable and fragile. And they're crawling all over you. You're whipping around. I mean, you could easily crush them. You could break them into pieces. And yet you have to exercise gentleness in that form of wrestling. Isn't that interesting? So it's still wrestling, but it's a different form of wrestling. How about wrestling with a bear? Well, you don't wrestle with a bear the way you wrestle with your five-year-old. You have to be fierce. You have to be aggressive. You have to use all of your strength and leverage all of your weight. And so it's a very different form, but it's still wrestling. Wrestling with kids, playful. Wrestling with a lion, aggressive. Wrestling with kids, tickling. You don't tickle a bear. (laughs) Wrestling with a wolf pack, destroying. You see, as a shepherd, you need to have the ability to do both and. It's like, okay, what am I wrestling with now? You don't wrestle with your kids as if they're a bear. You don't wrestle with your kids as if they're a lion. You wrestle with your kids as if they're your sheep. And so as a result, you leverage your weight and your authority different to protect them. Isn't that just an interesting thought process? Now showing how easy it is to be a duddy daddy. So this is a little picture from Eric Ludy's past. I'd like to say it's like, you know, 30 years ago, but it, it is years ago, maybe five, but still probably, well, no, maybe more like four uh, years ago, but it still is close. Uh, introducing the characters, daddy, that's me, uh, the guy commissioned to be a good shepherd, jelly legs, the honorary taught. He's the little dude. I should have had a, a, a long sound over the U there. Uh, the little dude doing all the rascally, naughty things. You ever run into a kid that does that? Yeah, they're around. Uh, and then there's Mr. Fusspot and his jam-smeared, binky-sucking, heart-melting, baby-faced, defiant cronies. And they're the wolf pack currently stirring up mischief in the inner terrain of the honorary tot. It's like a spiritual operation. And then there's the heavenly daddy. That's different than me. The heavenly daddy is the spirit of the one true good shepherd that stands behind daddy and corrects daddy as he labors to bring correction to the honorary taught. So the intriguing plot. Jelly Legs has done something rather mischievous, rascally, and naughty. 
Daddy, in the the position of shepherd, is tasked with the job of rescuing him. His objective, to correct the mischief and teach little jelly legs how to properly live. His problem, jelly legs has jelly legs. You ever had that where you're dealing with a child and they have the jelly legs? Like, stand up! And then they, oh, that's, uh, there's something about that that is hard for daddies. So Jelly Legs has Jelly Legs. The plot thickens as Mr. Fusspot arrives on the scene with his horde of sticky-faced cronies and storms into the inner sheep pen of Jelly Legs. What will Daddy do? Will he prove a good shepherd or will he prove a dud? Will he yield to the heavenly Daddy or will he attempt to pull off this impossible mission all by his lonesome? Let's find out as we explore the next exciting episode of how easy it is to be a duddy daddy. <laughs> the two dud tendencies of the shepherd, to underreact and to overreact. I mean, both are very easy. And what's funny is if you've had a season of overreacting, what you t- oftentimes will do is you'll be like, okay, all right, I'm just going to let that one go this time. And you end up going in the underreaction uh, category. Both harm the, the child. That's what's so interesting. It's like the shepherd has to be actively engaged. You have to learn how to wrestle properly with this authority that you have. So to underreact, give jelly legs the honorary taught whatever he wants. You ever been around that form of parenting? It's very disgusting, probably to most of us, when the child's like screaming at the top of their lungs for ice cream. It's like, okay, we'll get you ice cream. It's like, oh, don't give the child whatever he wants. I mean, it's, it's not fun to be around, right? Especially when you're on the plane and the child's screaming until they get what they want. Oh, but it's a real form of shepherding that exists today. And it's, it's, it's a harmful one. Avoid the confrontation at all costs. Flee from the wolves. Let them have their way with the naughty little dude. Even though it said dud, it's actually dude. Okay. To overreact. Hire your own wolf pack. Uh, Hire your own wolf back. Hire your own wolf pack. That's supposed to be pack. Note, the hot anger-driven spanking machine and his frothing at the mouth, rage-filled, flesh-empowered cronies are typically available for immediate hire at moment's notice. They're, they're a whole operation. It's like, if you ever need them, they're for hire immediately. They'll just show up right in your house and you'll get a good spanking machine going. In other words, you can very easily overreact to mischievous uh, honorary tots and turn them loose on the little dude. Yell, spit, snarl, and generally make a fool of yourself, hoping that your parental fury will somehow wake this honorary tot up and cause him to somehow, some way, grow up into a marvelous picture of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Isn't that funny that we think that by doing that, somehow we're helping them become like Jesus. And yet it's not the underreaction that we need and it's not the overreaction we need. It's the Christ reaction that we need. Mysterious option number three, to react in perfect stride with the good shepherd. But how does one do that? So introducing my big fat Greek word, huper entuchano. So you guys remember that word? This is a very, and this is one of my favorite words in all of the Bible. I know, Nathan, what was your favorite word in all the Bible? It's the grace word uh, in the Old Testament. Hesed, yes. And so this is sort of like, like Nathan has hesed. This is like a key word for me. It's a, it's a operational word that so greatly has impacted the way that I interact with God and the way that I interact with every action that I'm doing. So the word is huper entuchano. It's one massive word. The word entuchano is typically translated intercession. Huper entuchano is like hyper intercession, but that doesn't make any sense. And it's what the Holy Spirit does. 
So this is the only person, the only time it's used is in description of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, you're going to see this described, how he works to make intercession for us. So here's my illustration for it. The putt-putt green and the overshadowing daddy. So when, I, when my kids were young and we would go to the putt-putt green, have uh, you ever had it where you're with these little kids? You're really excited when you're a parent to get to do things like putt-putting. But when your kids are so little, it's like it's far more stress than it is fun because, you know, they're hitting each other with the, the clubs. And they're, but they, they come up to the ball and they just hit it, right? They, they, we're, hey, guys, we haven't started yet on that hole. And they like come up and they hit it into a bush. And it's like, where, where's your ball? I don't know. And so, oh. so it, it's, you know, you have to have a lot of uh, governance for this. And so what's interesting is one of the kids, you know, I'll be like, hey, do you want daddy's help? Like, no. And they'll, they'll try and hit it. But then one of the kids asks for help. And what I'll do is I'll overshadow them. And I'll wrap my arms over their arms. And I'll fix their hands on the club. And I'll put my hands over their hands. And then we'll go, oh, here we go, here we go. And we hit the ball, and it always goes better for them than the one that didn't have daddy's help, right? And so the ones that don't have daddy's help are like, hey, could you help me? You know, because it's going on their scorecard. I mean, Harper just got a really good score there. And so everyone's like, hey, I want, I want daddy's help, right? That's not fair that you get daddy's help, I don't get daddy's help. So as a result, it becomes this process that those that you recognize that you're going to get holes in one, you're going to get really good scores when you have daddy's help. And that's because daddy is able to do something physiologically that they aren't yet fit to do. In our life spiritually, there is never a point physiologically in our spiritual physiology that we can actually perform that which only God can perform. And so the key is the reason this word is so important to us is because this is actually what God intends to do for us. You know, that even though it is God doing the work, it goes on our scorecard. And that's one of the things that has always fascinated me about how the kingdom of heaven works. So, the shadowing, superintending, paternal intercession of a stronger party for a weaker party. So this is Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself makes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the world needs the return of strength but it doesn't need the return of weaker vessel smashers. So we need the strength of leadership to return. Like right now, if I was going to just articulate what I sense the church is needing, it needs leaders to rise up and be strong. That's what it needs. That's what we're craving. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've, if I could just look out there and say, God, this is what I would ask for. It's like, I want to see men just rise up and begin to speak straight instead of sideways, instead of pander, instead of that, well, you know, in, in all these circumstances, I mean, you just, you need to be more of a listener than, you know, a speaker. It's like, we need truth. We have lies that are reigning and controlling the airwaves. We need those that are willing to stand up and be strong. However, that doesn't mean we just veer off and become weaker vessel smashers. That's not what we're after. We're after Christ being evidenced in and through his bride. This world needs the return of shepherds, but it's in need of good ones and not dud ones. This world needs shepherds of the heavenly variety, shepherds with their heavenly daddy's hands covering theirs as they swing the almighty rod. You want to know how to swing the rod? To clonk wolves and to comfort sheep? You need God to overshadow 
And you need to submit. For my kids to get that hole-in-one with daddy's help, you know what they have to do? They have to ask for it, and they have to submit to it. It's funny. I've given them the, what, what is it? The, what do you call that thing you hit with? And It's going to be some club. The club, golf club. The putter. There we go. I, daddy gives them the putter, but the best thing they can do is basically say, Daddy, I need your help to be able to do this. And so as a result, the same is true with us. We've been given the rod of authority. We've been given a position, but we need to submit that and say, could you overshadow me and help me? You know that that's somewhat humbling to actually have God wrap his arms around us, fix our hands on the the putter and then pull it back and say, here we go. (laughs) We don't want to be treated like children, but we need to be in a strange sense. Even though we're maturing in this, this coordination of submission, we need him and we will always need him. I remember a teacher coming out with the idea. Uh, this was one of the leading voices in Christianity over the past 20 years. Said, Christianity is based on certain uh, illustrations or imagery and that is a father and a king. And in both situations, a king is distant. He, he says, hey, I'm not going to live your life for you. And a father, you grow up a child and you let them go and do it on their own. So all these ideas of dependence, I mean, that's ridiculous. And I would come back and say the exact opposite. I said, Jesus is our model and he reveals the perfect relationship between a son and a father. And even at the age of 33, he only did that which his father was asking him to do. So yes, I understand what you're saying, but the picture in scripture is very clear. One of dependence. It's huper entuchano. And our father wants to live and express himself in and through us. He wants to move us. He wants to assist us in pulling off the impossible. You try and lead in your own strength, you will fail. But if you allow God to do the work in and through you, you will find that the fruit of his kingdom will be evidenced in and through you. The art of clonking wolves and comforting sheep. So if you asked me how, if I've done this perfectly, if, well, that would be ridiculous. No, I have not. But but there is a grace that I have discovered in this. There is the, the Hooper and Tucano reality for me is the essence of how this all works. And so this is how I think. This is how I reason all throughout my day. I know who needs to get the job done. And it's not me. I do not look in my own pockets. I know where to look. God, I need you right now. I need you to hit this ball. It's the only way that it's going to work is if you're the one doing it. So the word in scripture that I would use for this would be proistomy, to superintend, to preside over, protect and guard, to care for and to give attention to, to rule with steel and cool water, to know how to draw the steel when the steel is needed and to draw the cup of cool water when it's needed. There's an actual word for that. This word is given as a direct command from Paul for bishops, deacons, elders, fathers, and husbands. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, this word. So Paul's charge, proistomy well. Men, be steel when steel is required and be soft when softness is needed. Men, don't treat every situation as if it's the same. You need to be dexterous in, in agreement with the Holy Spirit. If you're going to be a good leader, you need to be strong at this exact moment. Oh, now you need to be soft. You need to wrestle with your kids. Be gentle. Tickle them. Oh, now you need to be strong. You need to bop them over the head. In other words, not your kids, the wolves. How to dexterously move is in agreement with the Holy Spirit. And we need to learn that coordination. 
Here's 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5 is going to uh, use the word four times. One that rules well his own house, speaking of those that would be elders, right? Having his children in subjection with all gravity, for if a man knows not how to proestimate his own house, if he doesn't know how to be strong when he needs to be strong and soft when he needs to be soft, then how shall he take care of the church of God? Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, proestamine their children, soft when they need to be soft, strong when they need to be strong, their children in their own house as well. Let the elders that proestamine well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So to proestamine well is very, very significant. This is the landscape of God raising up leaders. If someone cannot prove to proestamine well their own house, they shouldn't be over the church of Jesus Christ. So when someone comes to me and wants to know if they're ready for marriage, you know, one of the first things I will say back is, well, there's always a graduation requirement to the next level. And that is, are you proestamine? Are you ruling well your first government? Like, for instance, your thought life, your heart, your life, your body. Is it controlling you? Or have you brought it under the rulership of the Holy Spirit? You see, you're not fit for marriage, until you have that. Now, many people have gotten married without that. However, in the kingdom of heaven, there's a graduation requirement. And to move into leading a family, boy, would that be nice, wouldn't it? To have that already in the rearview mirror as opposed to something you're, you're craving in the future. To move into leadership in the church, what does Paul say? You need to be ruling your own home well first. So to move into a home, you should be ruling your own body well. To, to move into the church, you should be ruling your own home well. How about to rule over many churches? Well, if you're not ruling one church well, why would you be over many churches? It's only logical, by the way. And yet, for us, we need to recognize we are leaders right now. We have a task, but are we tending to it God's way? Are we allowing God to wrap his arms around and say, let me fix your hands. Let's do this my way. Proestomy, this shepherding grace is available in in unlimited measure in Christ. Everything you need to lead well, to rule well, has been given you. Isn't that exciting? It's not something you need to earn. It's something that is yours. Just like that pipeline that when you believe in Christ, you, you have this pipeline that is attached between you and God. And it's pressurized with living water, the Holy Spirit. Basically, what's inside of this pipeline is everything you need for life and godliness. But on this pipeline is a gate valve. And so what we need to do is open the gate valve. And we open it through obedience. We open it through humility. There's various things that actually cause that flow to come in. For instance, if God says, I need you to forgive them, and you don't, it closes the gate valve. And as a result, that grace is not coming into us for forgiveness when we are refusing to let it flow through. When he says, I want you to love, and we refuse to love, well, then it closes off the gate valve. But when we forgive, what happens? The gate valve opens. What happens when we love? The gate valve opens. What happens when we obey him? When his spirit nudges us in a a direction and we say, yes, grace flows through us. And so as a result, if you want to lead well, you need to recognize you have everything you need, but you need to rise up and do what you know to do. And that's not always easy. Being presidential and standing strong is really hard in a world that isn't looking kindly on it right now. For you to be bold for Jesus Christ right now is not the easiest thing. However, 
This is our hour, and the Holy Spirit is ready to help us. A word to shepherds. Live in an understanding way with the weaker vessels. Take the blame as a leader. Allow the onus for imperfection to fall squarely upon your shoulders and don't stick it on anyone else. Let the good shepherd overshadow you and train you how to wield the heavenly strength Christ has supplied you. A word to sheep. Live in an understanding way with those learning to walk in the strength and authority of heaven. If you recognize that there's a balance to leadership and you're around someone who seems to go off in one direction, be gracious and be understanding because it's hard. It really is. Bless you. It is not an easy task. And to show mercy and grace to those that are in those positions is so critical as sheep. Please be quick to forgive shepherding mistakes, for there are often many. And please choose to champion the shepherd's cause and support them in their difficult work. Father, we ask that you would both enable us as shepherds and you would encourage us and strengthen us as sheep. Lord, for those areas of our life where shepherding is required, I pray, Lord, that we would have your Holy Spirit's power and grace to do this. Lord, may we be very aware of the fact that we are unable to pull this off outside of you. And may we request, even today and throughout today, may we learn that coordination of yielding to you. Lord, we ask these things in your holy, precious name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.